I want you to open your Bibles tonight to uh, 2 Timothy 2. We're going to go to Revelation 16 in a moment, but 2 Timothy 2, uh, a place to start. I'm really glad to see each of you here tonight because when we come to church, you are investing in your relationship with the Lord. You are investing in the life of other believers. Some people think that church is about what they get out of it. And of course, it, you get something out of it. But that's only one dimension. When you go to church, you are operating in a spiritual dimension. And as you know, um, the Bible says God fills heaven and earth. When you are involved in spiritual things, you are involved in multiple layers at the same time. And church is kind of a picture of that because you get an opportunity to see other people and realize that you're not the only one that has struggles or difficulties and you can uh, rejoice with people that are rejoicing, weep with them that weep. And then you are challenged, you're pushed, you get an opportunity to remember that this world is not our home. You're encouraged to talk to other people about the Lord. There's so many things. But one of the main things that we do on Wednesday night is found in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. And uh, it, it, it uses the term, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we emphasize sometimes the rightly dividing part, which we should. But may I point you to the middle phrase, a workman. It is, the Bible says, much study is a weariness of the flesh. It wears you out. And, uh, you know, we've, this, is, this is lesson number 62 going through the book of Revelation. And uh, there are others that have, that have done more than 62. Most people go a little bit quicker through it. But the, but the purpose of it, of this study, is, is to fulfill the definition of the word study, which means to strive toward, to apply oneself to read intently or meditatively. How many of you have been like me? As we've gone through Revelation in general, when you're studying the Bible or hearing it preached, they, something is brought out that was right in front of your eyes and you didn't see it. And why is that? Because we have a flesh, we have an understanding, we have a perspective as humans. We've gone through certain experiences and we naturally filter things and we naturally focus on what we already know. And so what you're doing tonight is you are on purpose putting yourself in the role of student, which is someone who studies and you are striving and focusing and thinking about the Bible. Now, the goal is for the word of God to be as important to us as it is to God. That's the purpose of Bible study. It's not for me to know more than you, uh, although you should learn more. But how do you really know how much other people know? I mean, at the end of the day, do you really know? It's not, that's not the goal. The Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And so the goal is for me to care about God's word as much as he does, and then treat other people like he does. Because there's no distinction between God and his word. God, his word is the expression of God. So this, this coming year, I'm just excited you're here the first night of the year because what you're saying is the, the, my spiritual life is important enough to take time and focus and meditate and invest in it. And uh, I'm thankful that you're here and I trust it'll be a blessing to you tonight. Now, we're going to get into uh, chapter 16, but before we do, let me just say this again, uh, four different accounts in the book of Revelation of the tribulation period. Now, why is this so? We won't take the time to prove it, but it's because of the four different mentions of the coming of Christ. That's why we say there are four different accounts. All right, so four different accounts you'll find in there. It's four different mentions of the coming of Christ. Christ does not come four different times, but his coming is seen from four different perspectives, four different chapters. So we we see three diff, four different ones, and there and of course we understand that there is uh, some some overlap in these, and there's also some that do not overlap. Okay, so in other words, some of the plagues uh, of the seven vials here, they actually do not completely overlap with everything. If you try to take the uh, each of these four views or four times trips through the book of Revelation, and you try to overlap them and try to make them all fit, you will end up pretending like they fit when they don't. 
because they don't all fit perfectly. But it's not necessarily a chronological trip through the Bible. And that's important to know. Otherwise, you feel like you're getting jerked around like a little dog on a chain. I don't know what's going on. Just keep in mind that there's four general trips through the book of Revelation uh, or through the tribulation in this book. And there are some things that, that are a little extra here. Some things are a little extra over there. They don't all necessarily line up exactly perfectly. But having said that, the first one is found in chapter 6, opening of seven seals. <clears throat> the, the, the second one is the sounding of seven trumpets. The third is the revealing of the seven personalities. And then now we enter the pouring of seven vials. And in chapter 15, God is giving what we just finished. God's giving John a preface to what he's about to see in chapter 16. So again, 15 is more of a parent up a parenthesis. Um, and what, what God is saying is that he's been for 6,000 years. He has been putting up with man. He's been extremely gracious, showing his grace but while he's doing that, his wrath is simultaneously filling up, right? And in 15, he's telling us that's coming a point when God is going to say, enough, I'm done, no more. Now, he's not like mom. Mom didn't, you know, if you had a mom like me, you didn't get a lot of warning, right? If you had a dad like me, it was judgment time right now. But God is not mom, not dad. God's been telling them for thousands of years, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. You better repent. You better turn. You better turn. And aren't you glad God is gracious? He, he doesn't have to show grace. You can't make God do anything. But he wants people to be saved. And so he has given us well in advance warning. And by the way, I will say, in defense of parents who come down hard, at some point, if all you do is warn and you never come down hard, then that's not good either. So here God is, uh, and my mom raised her hand on that one. She liked that. Uh, amen. Those spankings. Whew, what a blessing. The beast. The beast. God gives one of the beasts these seven vials in chapter 15. And what does the beast do? He turns and he gives, uh, speaking for the other beasts, he goes and he gives to the seven angels these seven vials. I want you to keep in mind, this is not symbolism. Uh, be careful in trying to symbolize the book of Revelation. The Bible tells us very clearly what is a sign or what is not. If you try to do that, you're going to end up more confused because now you've got to figure out what all the symbols mean. And you'll lose your mind. This is, this is not a spiritualization of some principle. This is what happened. God has seven vials in heaven, and those vials are filling up. Where are they? Uh, I don't know how close they are to the top. Just like when your gas gauge starts getting close to E. And, you know, and you, you know if you're like me, you're thinking, well, it's, it all depends on the direction you look at it from, right? If you look at it from here, there's actually lots of gas left in the tank. <clears throat> and I don't know where that level is, but it is filling up simultaneously. And uh, the, the reason why people have a hard time with Revelation is not because they don't understand it. It's because they do understand it. It's pretty simple in some, in many of the places. It's obvious. It's just really hard to process how God could allow this to happen. That's really what it comes down to. And so it's easier to say, well, it's already happened or, you know, just like it happened over here. Uh, there are things, there are things that are happening and uh, they're happening in ways that are unusual, uh, barbaric atrocities that have happened. That, for instance, Hamas, the things that they did to the Israelis were not even done by the Nazis. And, and what, what does that mean? It means that sometimes we look at the, the scripture and we say, oh, I can't, it couldn't be that. It's too harsh. Well, it's amazing uh, that we, we haven't seen everything, number one. And number two, we're not talking about what man is going to do to man. We're talking about what God is going to do to man. And uh, so, as we get into this, keep this in mind. Notice, first of all, let's look at Revelation chapter 16. First, we have the judgment commissioned. The judgment commissioned. Revelation 16, look what he said, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. 
I want you to see it's a commission in the sense that he is saying, go, go. Remember the Lord said to the apostles, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, start in, in, in Acts chapter 1. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of what? Of the earth. And so we have here another type of commission. But instead of the grace of God going forward, this is the judgment of God. And he is sending people out to go, to go. And notice what, he's, what happens here. It is the great voice of God. Look at verse number 9. You see a great heat. Men are scorched with a great heat. Verse 12. You see the great river Euphrates. Uh, verse 14. You see the great day of God Almighty. Look at chapter 16, verse 17. There's a great voice out of the temple. Verse 18. A great earthquake. Uh, verse 19. The great city Great Babylon. Okay, so what you have here, literally, this is the greatest chapter in the entire Bible, chapter 16, because 11 times in this chapter, he mentions great. And it is God's way of saying, this is massive. This is gigantic. This is great. Over and over. What do we see? Uh, He says, it's the great voice. He hears a great voice out of the temple. This is the voice of God himself. And that voice is the voice of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, Jesus Christ is the word. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He's constantly referred to as that. And God speaks through his word. Christ is the voice, the voice of God, the voice of the Lord Jesus. Remember back in Genesis chapter 38, where what Adam said, he said, and, uh, and they, Adam and Eve, they heard the voice of the Lord God. What was it doing? Walking. Now, obviously, we think we hear a voice speaking or singing or yelling. But they heard the voice of God walking. So when you think about that, when, when God comes to deal with mankind, he comes in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden. What did that voice say? Well, it spoke throughout history, but I'm happy uh, to tell you about one of my favorite passages. That When I heard his voice, he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Um, He said in Isaiah 55, he said, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, let him come. And, and God gives us access, buy and eat, buy wine and milk without money, without price. The voice of the Lord is saying, come. Now, here we have another, another thing that's happening. This is the voice of judgment, not just the voice of invitation. And so you see letter A in your, in your outline, the fulfillment. This call is the fulfillment of prophecy. Let's take our Bibles and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy 29, the fulfillment of prophecy. Notice he says in verse number 18, he says, lest there should be among you, he's he's talking about uh, the future state, nation of Israel, and how God will bless or curse them. And he's saying, lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. Look down at verse 24. All right, Even all nations shall say, wherefore hath the Lord done thus unto this land? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of Israel. Uh, some of you, anybody has, has been there? I've never been. Um, but I do not understand why it's supposedly the promised land, the land that floweth with milk and honey. When I think about, why would God choose this? And you've heard people say, well, God just chooses, and what he thinks is beautiful is beautiful. But it doesn't line up, because he, he tells you about the fruit. He tells you about the beauty of the land before they ever go in. This is what Israel looks like now is a result of what we are going to read here. It was a beautiful garden. In fact, Scripture seems to indicate that it was, uh, the Garden of Eden was located in the nation of Israel. Beautiful place, but now it's desert. 
And we know that they're bringing it back through, you know, uh, hydrating the, you know, irrigation and all that. But there's something missing. And here's what it is. Look at verse number 24. Even all the nations will say, Wherefore hath the Lord done thus unto this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, which he made with them, when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they knew not and whom he had not given unto them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land to bring upon it all the curses that are written in this book. And the Lord rooted them out of their land in anger and in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. And shall come to pass. When all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations. See, they've all been cast into other lands. Uh, all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. Thou and thy children, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy uh, captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. Uh, Secular historians will tell you that once a people has been removed from their homeland, there is no nation that has been able to maintain their identity. You think about it. why? They assimilate. America is a melting, melting pot. How many of you had grandparents or great-grandparents that were born in other countries? Okay. Mine go back pretty far, but I think it's a great-grandparent on my mom's side in Germany. Okay. But what happens is you're not celebrating the same holidays as your great-grandparents did. You're not celebrating with the same traditions. Why? You assimilate into the land. And though we have little Italy and we have little Poland and little, you know, uh, Chinatown and things like that. But everybody knows that's just a fun place to visit. Chinatown, uh, you know, little Italy is not taking over the United States. We're not becoming Italian. But what's amazing about the, the Jews is that their children, for the large part, when they would go in, the parents would work jobs and, uh, and, and the kids would go to school. And you have people who love the traditions of Judaism, who light the menorah, who celebrate Hanukkah, and don't believe in God. And somehow they're able to maintain that tradition all over the world. And a lot of the Jews uh, came here and have really impacted our nation. Guys like Steven Spielberg. Uh, that You could go on and on and on and on. And wh- why is that? There's n- the secular historians don't have any answer for that. Because we had a huge influx of people from Ireland. Who speaks Irish in America? Nobody. It's amazing. I mean, you think about all the people that came from Germany, from England, right? Uh, from Scotland, from Poland, Eastern Europe, Russians, tons and tons of people came over. But it, they've all assimilated. And yet, we find that the nation of Israel still maintains. Why? Because of this. What we're reading about in Revelation 16 is a fulfillment of prophecy. They maintain their identity for 1,900 years without a homeland. God is going to bring them back. Now, when they come back in 1948, they become a nation. They do not come back in belief. It's an amazing thing. But by the way, that is the same as when Jesus came. They were, he, he, he came into his own, his own received him not. So some people say, well, that's it. We become Israel. Israel, God's done with Israel. No, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. That's even more amazing. And you understand that the God who made them a nation is keeping them a nation, even though they don't want anything to do with him. They're still together and they're still, they still have a shared identity. Look at chapter 30, verse four. And if any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, that's an interesting thought. Uh, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee, and the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. 
And then here's what the Lord's going to do. Thou, the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So he said, I'm going to scatter you everywhere and the, the nations of the world are going to persecute you. They're going to abuse you. But the people that abuse you, I will persecute. Look at verse 7. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and upon them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. So keep in mind, God is judging the world not just because of their adultery and their fornication and their drunkenness. Of course, that is true, but it is really, a lot of it is because of Israel and how Israel has been treated. And he's going to bring the curses down on it. Now go over to Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. So we're looking at the fulfillment here in, in, in Psalms. Uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 16. We're going to go to Psalms in a moment. Isaiah 51. So what's going to happen is when, when the Jews in the tribulation period finally have their eyes opened to who Jesus Christ is. This is what's going to happen. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. Look at verse 22. Thus saith the Lord thy God, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling. Who is holding the cup? Jerusalem. Verse 17. He said, I've taken it out of thine hand, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again, but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, which have said to thy soul, bow down that we may go over. Thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. So this is what's coming in chapter 16 of Revelations, fulfillment of the prophecy of God judging the nations. He is going to bring them down. Then, secondly, take your Bibles, look at Psalm 79. This is also the fulfillment of prayer. Fulfillment of prayer. And if there's one thing that God does for people, is he honors their faith in him. The word of God is where we learn about God. We learn what we put our faith in. But God wants us to communicate to him. And God uses the nation of Israel here. He, he wants them to communicate Notice verse number 6, Psalm 79. See, the last seven plagues in Revelation 16 are going to come not just because of the prophecies, but they're also going to come because of the prayers. Verse 6, pour out thy wrath. Look at this prayer. Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy mercies, thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight, by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die. And render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach, wherewith they have reproached thee, O Lord. So he said, the folks that are coming up against us, God, they're praying, God, I pray that what they did to us, you would do sevenfold back to them. And so, you know, the reason why people uh, really get scared about, about judgment, and we want to talk about mercy and grace and all that, is because we are living in the age where God is extending his arms out in love to say, come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, come. But did you notice here, he's saying, Lord, kill all those heathen that are trying to kill us. And that's a, that's a different prayer. Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy because what we have is two separate sides. We have the spiritual side that will live forever. The Jews are not worried about that. What they're thinking about is the physical side. If that guy that's trying to kill my wife and my children and starve us out, I, he, he's got a physical body and I want him dead. 
And that's what God's about to do. He's about to pour out his wrath. And so the answer to the Jews' prayer is coming. Now let's go back to Revelation 16. Let's look at these vials. Revelation chapter 16, the vials. So we've talked about, uh, first of all, the judgment commissioned, and now the judgment commenced. It's coming. Verse number 2, Revelation 16. The first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. So this is the pouring of the first vial, which results in the traumatic sore. It's a sore. Everybody on the planet who's worshipped this, this beast and has taken the mark, is going to be the recipient of another kind of mark. God says, you want the mark? Okay, fine. I'll give you a mark. And this mark is noisome. Now, we don't use this very much except referring to toddlers, but that uh, it's not bothersome in that way, and it's not noise in the sense of sound. What it is, it's in the sense of annoyance. Something that is uh, harmful, noxious, but, there, but it has a definition of bad smelling. Bad smelling. Now, you're going to possibly get grossed out tonight. I hope you don't get grossed out too much. But uh, some of you got iron stomachs, no problem at all. And uh, some of you have been you know, nurses or whatever, and you, you can... But this, this is a nasty, bad smelling, um, open running sore that causes excruciating, unbearable pain. All right, so what we're talking about, this is God pouring out this. Notice it says, it, this, this thing falls, there fell. I'm not saying that it fell out of the sky, but God is pouring out the wrath. God is the one that's causing the sore. All right? Now, there's several reasons why a sore will smell. There's bacterial infections. There is uh, necrosis, dead tissue, and sometimes it even goes to the point of rotting, rotting flesh. Someone can have that. And in the Old Testament, you had several chapters of the Bible dedicated to a particular noisome sore called leprosy. But I want you to go, if you would, back to Exodus chapter 9. And while you're turning to that, remember uh, Exodus 15 and 16, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation 15 and 16, God refers to these plagues as the seven, anybody remember what the next word? Seven plagues, there's a word in between. The seven, what was it? Nope. Starts with an L. Last. Right, the seven last plagues. And we think about, oh, well, seven last because it's towards the end of the tribulation. But remember, God already brought some plagues. Remember that? In, In Exodus chapter Nine, we'll see it. God already delivered the nation of Israel once through a series of ten plagues. So these seven last plagues have connection to those ten previous plagues. Look what he says in Exodus chapter 9. Verse 8. The Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man. That's blisters. So it's a boil with blisters. There's great heat, we saw in Revelation 16. We'll see that later. Upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt, and they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So these are sores that cause this excruciating pain. I want you to think about this. This is not God judging Israel. Israel is going to be allowed to be judged by the beast and the false prophet. But just like in the land of Goshen, there was a separate place where God hid them from the plagues. And God is going to do the same thing with the remnant of Israel. He tells them, hey, listen, when you hear that, when you see that abomination set up, you need to run for the desert. Get out of Dodge. Get out. I'm going to hide you and I'm going to protect you. So the things that happen to Israel, God will use to purge them. But God, why would God punish them and preserve them at the same time? Why would God try to kill them and keep them alive? 
Uh, so what's happening is the Antichrist system is what's going to be punishing the Jews. But God is going to try to preserve them. What we find here is these boils are on the Egyptians. And I just can't help but think of, uh, the, I'm not saying there's a direct connection, but I think about the ash that goes up in the air. I can't help but think of the ashes that came out of the furnaces there in the concentration camps. And how those things went up and became a grievous, grievous sore here upon these uh, Egyptians. I don't know that there's a connection there, but I find uh, God has a way. Ecclesiastes tells us that God uh, does the same things. What has been before is what's coming again, over and over again. Now, a lot of modern teachers, a lot of prophecy experts will say that this is, the, the, in Revelation 16, I mean, that's the result of nuclear explosions, right? I mean, we saw Hiroshima, we saw um, the uh, effects of the nuclear explosions and how many times people had blisters for months and years after the fact. But the, the difference is that was the result of man-made destruction. What we're talking about here is God's destruction. And there's a distinction. Sometimes we want to say, oh, yeah, I understand what that's like. Be careful with that because this is not the same. Uh, there's no indication that God said, okay, it's time. Go down and bomb those cities in Japan. I'm getting sick and tired of them. No, that was, that was not God. That was man. Man did that. And, uh, and so here we have God. God pouring out his wrath. Letter B... We have, first of all, the pouring of the first vial. Then we get to the second vial. Let's look back at Revelation chapter 16. Let's look at verse number 3. And by the way, this, this is probably the reason why vials don't really get, get a very good representation in movies or cartoons or books. Anytime there's a vial, is it good or bad? Well, probably the connection with the word vial, V-I-L-E, doesn't help anything either. But... I don't remember anybody saying, we have here this vial of that which will bring life to you. It's very rare. It's mostly acid. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. It's going to kill you. And I think it's coming from, from here. Look what the second vial does. Verse 3. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Okay, so we have here the salt water that's affected. The salt water. They say that, and not just me, but scientists study, whatever, uh, people that study these things, they say when a person dies, the enzymes in their blood begin to break the blood down, right? And when they do so, acid starts to create a gas in that blood. And that's what smells when you have blood that uh, is left lying. It starts to break it down. It's like a dead body. And so when the sea becomes as the blood of a dead man, you're going to have that in the sea as well. The enzymes are going to be breaking down that blood. And you're going to have, a. Uh, there was a funeral director who said, it will become a bubbling cauldron of a stinking gelatinous mess. <laughs> oh, man, alive. How disgusting is that? We take our blood for granted, don't we? But, you know, when you don't have it, you're really, really about, you're going to be gone. You have bad blood, you're going to have a lot of pain. And here, there's blood, but it's not good blood. It's dead blood. You see, blood doesn't disappear when someone dies. But instead of it being something that's life-giving, it's dangerous. It's scary. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I want you to think about this, too, as we go through, because we looked at Exodus chapter 9, and I want you to think, let's go back to Exodus chapter uh, 7. Exodus chapter 7. I mentioned Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. I want you to, th to remember this. When you're reading through Exodus and Numbers, you're not just reading books about Israel's past, but you're also reading about Israel's future. There's so many tie-ins. Why would God put this book in the Bible? It's so old and it, I don't know anything that it's talking about. What if it were talking about things that are going to happen again? Would that make any difference? I'll give you some examples. In the tribulation period, God's going to deliver his remnant and bring them out into the wilderness. Uh, he's going to miraculously feed that remnant. And then think about this. The path that Joshua took as he led God's people out, 
is the same path that the Lord Jesus Christ will take when he returns at his second coming. So as you're going through the Old Testament, keep in mind that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. We're in the middle of a cycle. Our nation is in the middle of a cycle. Uh, By the way, the generations, sociologists have done studies on this, generations cycle. You can go and, and read books like The Fourth Turning, and you'll find that there's different types of generations. They come along, right? And we call them different names, but they have similar characteristics, and they follow one another. Well, the book of Genesis, Exodus, uh, specifically Exodus and the book of Numbers, they have a lot of things that are going to happen again. Look at chapter 7, verse 20. 720. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod, smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Notice, here we are talking about these, these uh, seas and the rivers. Fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. So here we have all the waters that are going to be affected. We see it's not just the river Nile that's affected in the tribulation. It goes on. When the third vial gets poured out, let's go back to Revelation 16. Look at the third vial. It starts to get crazy. The third vial, it says, the third angel, verse number four, thirty, to poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. So what we have here is the fresh water is now affected. Not just the salt water, but the fresh water. Think about this. Every drop of water that's flowing is getting turned to this nasty, disgusting, putrefying liquid. Now, I think God is going to allow people to make it. You have to have water to, to drink. But what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to dig and dig and dig. You see, mankind is going back to the most pagan and primitive of civilizations. They're going to have to go back and dig in the ground and find water. Uh, it's not going to come, uh, you know, directly from a pipe into your house. You know, it's, it's going to be worse than even the water from Lake Erie, if you can believe that. It's gonna, and it's hard to even imagine it. But horror movies are made. You know what horror movies do a lot? Is they have things or animals or insects coming out of places that you would never imagine. They really emphasize that. And you turn on the water. And blood comes out. And I, 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 you know, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. We take for granted. But have you noticed um, since you were a kid... You ever remember bottled water growing up? Anybody? I mean, we, remember when people used to make fun of bottled water? And now people buy bottled water on a regular basis. Um, why? Because you just don't know for sure what they're doing with the public water. And so you turn I like to drink tap water. It doesn't bother me. But um, I also, you know, looking forward to heaven soon. So that's why. I drink it, you know, maybe get me out of here. But it's interesting. We don't quite question what's in the purified bottles of water. Right? We never think about that. But isn't it interesting that even that little movement towards uh, the water's not clean enough. It's not clean. And, and water is the stuff of life. Like, we've got to have water to be alive. And so we find here that God is taking that which is necessary, and he's replacing it with something else. He's replacing it with blood. And typically, throughout the whole Bible, you remember he says, um, the life of the flesh is where? It's in the blood of Leviticus, Right? And uh, the Lord said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Throughout the Bible, blood is symbolizing life and cleansing and salvation. But here, blood is symbolizing condemnation and death. God's taking the thing that mankind has to have more than anything, water and blood, and he's removing that from the equation. It's amazing that God, God allows them up to this point to, to continue to have air to breathe, you know. But uh, it's the reality. So I want you to think about, though, the righteousness of this judgment. 
Because we think, what, what kind of a God? Where's all this wrath and judgment and fury coming from? Where's it coming from? It's coming from his righteousness. It's coming from God. Look at verse number five. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. God's righteous because he turned the water into blood. Because he sent that sore. God is righteous. And he goes on to say, for they, here's the reason, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. For they are worthy. Now people, people talk about, we drink blood, drink blood. Okay, you may take a swig of blood occasionally if you're, you know, crazy and wild and wanting to prove that you're darker than everybody else. But you ain't surviving on blood. Especially dead man's blood. There is no way in the world. I don't care what kind of a, you know, um, what's those people that like blood? Uh, vampires. And there's, there's plenty of people out there that, you know, oh, it's so gross. You know, the Lord says, you like to shed blood, I'm going to give you blood to drink. So you see, it's not just that God is vindictive. It is God is returning back on them what they have done. You know, often we as Americans, we, we, and we, we should be, we should be merciful and gracious. But I want you to think about this. You know, our, our, our justice system in this country is so messed up because people focus more on trying to preserve the people who have committed crimes. And we don't think about the crimes that they have committed against other people. We think about how we don't want them to be punished. But we need to back up the tape. We need to get the, 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 the CC, CTV, the, the hidden camera, and we need to go back and look at what they did to other people. And you think about that. It's amazing. I don't want them to die. I don't want them to rot in jail the rest of their life. Well, let me just ask you, what if they did it to the one that you love? Or, or what if they did it to yourself? You see, God is, is showing grace and mercy. But may I remind you, all of that is just a stay of execution. You can appeal to a higher court. You can appeal. Appeal to the Supreme Court of Heaven. And God will listen to you at this time. Why? Because his son paid for that stay of execution. But there's coming a point when God says that day is done. No more appeals. And what? Well, God is just mad. No, God is giving you what you deserve because of what you did to someone else. And, and so we say, well, I would never, I would never. Hold on a second. Didn't the Lord say, if a man hate his brother, he's a murderer? Do you think God was lying? Do you think it's unfair for him to say that? Hey, God's the one that said don't hate. God's the one that said don't murder. God's the one that can say those two things are the same. And so the, well, I have never done anything. If you could have gotten away with it, would you have done it? That's the question. That's the question. See, it's easy for me to say I have an A and B and C because I couldn't do it without getting in bigger trouble. But if I could have done it and gotten away with it, you better believe I would have slit that man's throat a long time ago. You say, I would never, I would never. Of course you'd never imagined that. But the Lord says the seed of that deed is in your heart. It's a scary thing when you start realizing that God actually has a different way of looking at my sin than I do. Because I know what my sin, it's not as bad as your sin. That's number one. And number two, I don't even have that many sins. But God says, I'm looking at your sin differently. God's looking at mankind in a different light. It's a scary thing. We've got to make sure we don't take, people are afraid of a God that shows any kind of vindication or any kind of judgment. And yet they pray and ask God to make their life amazing and wonderful. You, there is no two different gods. There's just one God. And here, this is the God that we serve. It's important. You know what? A lot of Christians, American Christians today, they say, well, God doesn't care. It's no big deal. Remember back when we used to be scared of God? Ha, ha, ha. And now it's not a big deal. Can I tell you why a lot of Christians say that? They're not looking at God. They're definitely not looking at the Word. They're looking at other Christians. That's why they think God has changed. God's different. Can I remind you that the, 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 the man that you used to fear, uh, let's say you came up in, in, in church in the 50s or 60s or 70s, and you'd hear that preacher and used to think God himself was speaking to you. If he was preaching the Bible, God himself was speaking to you. And you were scared. You know why? Because Americans in general had a greater respect and a fear for God. And because Americans no longer have that respect and reverence for God, we think God has changed. 
He has not changed. It's good for you to be in church sometimes where somebody makes you mad and ticks you off. Why? Because it shows that not everybody thinks like you do. And that's just a small precursor of God himself. He doesn't think like we do. And we, we, I'm not talking about the lost people. I'm not talking to lost people. Hey, listen. Yes, they need to know they're on their way to hell. Yes, they need to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. But you know who has probably lost more fear of God than lost people? Saved people. Saved people are not afraid of God. What do I need to be afraid of? I'm saved now. Well, I'm just saying the same God that saved you is the God that's going to pour out grievous sores and make people drink blood. Isn't that what it says? I'm not making this up. You say, well, how do I justify? I can't believe in a God. Well, then you, you might as well just leave the Bible and go somewhere else because it's all here. What should we do? We should remember that our God is a consuming fire and it's a privilege to be saved from his wrath. We're saved in Jesus Christ. So maybe we should think of that when we make decisions in our lives, when we live our lives. It's not just me getting away with whatever. I know what the Baptists teach. Have you ever heard people say that? I know, what, I know what they do at the church. I, I know, I've heard people say that. I'm like, who gives a rip what the Baptists teach or preach? No one cares what they preach or teach unless it comes out of the Bible. And if it does, you better be afraid. You better be serious. Well, my pastor never taught me that. I heard people say, well, I just never was taught that. Look, here's a better question. Does the Bible say it? Whether you were taught it or not. You know, the, 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 the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures whether the things that Paul said were so. That's why they were noble. They were more noble. You know, they've got some noble Christians. They, they come and they believe the preacher and they want to serve God and so forth. But you know, the more noble ones, they don't just say, well, I'm a Baptist. Again, I got nothing against Baptists. I am one. But you know why I am one? Because I believe that what they're saying about the Bible is true. But not everything that the Baptists say about the Bible is true. Why? There's 165 different flavors of Baptists. And what if they disagree? Who's the authority? It's got to be the book. And when you get into the Word of God, you start seeing what it says. You know the reason why we think we're okay with our sin? We think we're okay with what we do? It's because we don't believe what God says. Some of you, when you got saved, you were afraid that you were going to hell. I know I was. What kind of God would allow you to go to hell? The same God that saved you. And it's the same God that you serve and worship today. He has not changed just because everybody else says it's not a big deal. I don't hear preaching on that anymore. You ever hear someone say that? No one preaches on that anymore. You know what? I understand that. And you can't say everything in one message, although I try. I will say that. You can't say everything all the time. But let me ask you this. Just because somebody stops preaching on it, does it make it less biblical? No. By the way, just because somebody preaches on it doesn't make it biblical either. You've got to go to the scripture and say, here's what, some people think, well, my pastor hasn't preached on that, so I'm okay. Number one, how could you possibly preach 66 books of the Bible in 10 years, let alone a year? So I guess it's not the Bible if my preacher hasn't said it. You see how we put people in, uh, in, in, in a class of like, it's, it's a weird thing that we do. We've got to be careful of that because this God here is taking vindication on the earth. For the last 6,000 years, the angels in heaven have been watching in utter amazement as God has allowed people to take the lives of his saints. I mean, they say something like 50 million of our brothers and sisters have been martyred. And there's going to be even more in the tribulation period. You know the reason why their blood was shed? Because they believe the same thing about this book that we believe. You would be aghast. If I told you that a police officer pulled me over because I was a Christian today, you would, you would be like, what? We don't do that here. But you know how many places in a world, in the world that that happens? It does happen. And as believers, we have to be careful. You know, well, as long as it doesn't happen here, if your daughter or son was a missionary in that country, you would really be concerned. We have to get in our heads what's happening here. And, and the Lord said, they are not getting away with this. 
I've had enough. And he finally acts. There's a day coming when every sin will be judged. And that sin will either be paid for through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you enter into the tribulation period and you start paying for that sin yourself through these vials, which, of course, you know you can never pay for your sin. So don't you know that while this is happening, the angels are sitting there. They're going, just like Peter, just like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hey, you know, let me, let me take his ear off. Let me cut his... Let, you know what the Lord said? Put thy sword into its place. He said, I can pray right now to my Father. He'll give me more than 12 legions of angels. Not a problem. Guys, listen, there's a coming a time when God's going to release those 12 legions, legions of angels and more. He's going to pour it out on this earth. And our job here is like Peter. Right now in this time frame, it's not time for the sword. It's not time to get all fired up about that. By God's grace, we've got to be more concerned about what he's concerned about. What's that? The cross of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. To see people one to the Lord. I want to encourage you. This is a dark, dark passage in Scripture. Remember that the next time you're just looking for serenity and peace. Just looking for something just to, I want to relax. I just want to chill. Remember that there are some really bad times coming in the future, but God has opened a door of grace and mercy right now to these people. You say, well, people don't want it. I can promise you this. If you saw someone about to step off a curb into a passing truck, you would say something to that person, wouldn't you? Or you're not too embarrassed, not too awkward or, or you know, shy to say that, right? You know, people are no less in trouble today, spiritually speaking. And physically, I mean, who is the real person anyhow? It's the soul, right? The physical body is going to die. Those people are stepping out in front of a passing eternity that's going to take them to hell forever. And we've got to step out and say, hey, let me tell you, what's the very first thing we should do? Pray, pray, pray. Get on your knees and say, God, we need your, I need your help. I can't do it. People don't care. People are hard. I promise you, though, they're not harder here than they are in England. I promise you that. Why? We do what England does. We've copied them since our beginning. And somebody just got saved in England that we heard about tonight. Can God save people in Toledo, Ohio? Absolutely. That's why this tribulation hasn't happened yet. Because he wants to see people saved. And your job and mine is to try to help win them to Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you with that. It can seem overwhelming. Because if you're like me, coming out of the holidays, man, you're feeling you're like, man, I probably ate too much. I haven't done anything but sit around. Family coming out my ears. Man, it's time. We've got, to, we've got to get some time alone with the Lord and get back to the heart of God. What does he want? He's given us a plan of what's coming. And we need to get down and say, Lord, help us. To see with your eyes and to love with your heart.